0: You are listening to First Church Charlotte. Greetings everyone, Pastor Nathan here. It's an honor to spend a few moments with you on this Wednesday evening. I hope your week is going great. I want to talk to you as strong believers tonight. I believe that the great majority of you watching this are very strong believers, and I believe that if we as a church are going to make a difference in our community and our city, uh, it's going to be through the mobilization, the incorporation of all of you. Um, you are the very people who are able to teach Bible studies. You're the very people who are able to host people in your home and be comfortable in your faith and comfortably speak what is the word of the Lord, but also do so with the heart of the Lord. Uh, and that is that's two different things. And so I want to to give you a little bit of uh, exposure to my heart and what I, leading our pastoral team, has been wrestling with, Um, and that is how do we serve this moment? How do we as a ministry team, as an organized body of Christ, how do we serve this moment? Um, We are in a beautiful city, and the Lord loves the people of the city. And we as a church have this beautiful opportunity to represent that. How do we do it? Um, we are going to be starting back in the next few weeks to an in-person Wednesday night service. However, we've wrestled with how do we, how do we format it where it serves, first of all, the church. Um, we want it to serve the church. And we also want it to uh, open the windows, as it were, of the church and open the doors of the church, and try to connect with the virtual audience, the people who can't come or won't come to a Bible study style format. And when we start back here in a few weeks, you'll be seeing some of our attempts at small format changes. One of our goals, as I mentioned, is to include um, outsiders. Um, Also, I want to, if uh, the Lord will help me, I want to make it a little bit more interactive. I want people to be able to ask questions. Um, It's terrifying for me. Uh, That's why most churches would never do it. Um, But if I don't know, I'll just tell you, I don't know. And I am motivated by uh, the manner in which my family's pastor, so many, many moons ago, uh, Pastor David F. Gray in San Diego, California, he was the pastor to the family. My dad and uncle's all came up out of his ministry. And one of the things he did was made a strong effort to answer people's questions. He wrote several books entitled Questions uh, Pentecostals Ask. And I'm motivated by that, but I'm also aware that it can be terrifying. There's, there's no, you have no idea what you're going to get. Um, and I think that, however, that, that risk is one of the ways that we can connect with this hour, this generation. Um, and so you'll be hearing more about that. Uh, Our team has been praying for a while about this. We have been talking weekly about this. I've had individual kind of uh, reflective, uh, brainstorm, think tank style uh, talks with people. What would work? What would move the needle? What would serve the church? Uh, All churches have two things going on. On one hand, uh, we are being disciples. On the other hand, we are making disciples. And all churches has to weigh that out. Um, Yes, we work in a certain way, and we represent the kingdom of God, the word of God, uh, but the work is with the people who are not discipled, uh, the people who are broken. Um, It's very easy for a church to use church as a reassurance program. And you can always tell when you're in a church like that because if somebody is not lining up in some way, nothing else matters except the fact that they're not lining up. Uh, that's one of the reasons why reassurance churches, uh, it's very difficult for them to use anybody whose life is not outwardly perfect. Um, I, I, I understand it's, it's, it's a problem, um, but as long as their life is outwardly perfect, we can use them um, unless the inward life becomes public and then we can't use them anymore. Um, that is that is very human and uh, very common. Um, that's not exactly what we're going for, but it's not easy. Uh, it's difficult to um, be in the world but not of the world and to separate the person, their sin, their choices, their beliefs, separate that from their value, uh, to separate my approval of them from my acceptance of them. And you've heard me teach this for years. Um, I'm not sure that everyone has heard me, (laughs) Um, but this is is my heart on display. And if we can't do that, then we belong with the religious leaders criticizing Jesus. Uh, Because it's not that they're trying to be bad people. Um, It's that they have used religion to order their world to draw lines of the good and the bad, the insider and the outsider. They have used their religion as order and that order of society and order of religion, it reassures them. It's not the word of God that reassures them, although they will quote the word of God when they're kicking someone out of the church. It's not the promises of God that reassures them, although they would disagree with that and fight me on every corner in town over that. What really reassures them is to see no visible imperfection in anybody's life Um, and they struggle with people like Jesus because Jesus he operates as though um, the outward face is the least important face the outward show is the least important show he operates as though your heart matters more than your pretenses this is very very hard for, for, for for religious people very very hard for me um, I, like all of you, am limited in what I can know about people. And uh, like all of you, I tend to go with sight uh, more than heart. But the Lord has to break us of that if we want to be a church that is in the harvest. Um, because that is where all the imperfection is. That's where everybody gets dirty. That's where the sweat and the, <laughs> all the smelly work is. It's in the harvest. Um, And I understand that um, as you have children, um, you want to protect them from that. Um, I'm very sympathetic. Um, You want to hide them from that. You don't want your kids to be damaged by the imperfect, damaged kids that the church is ministering to. Um, I know churches that have gone so far with this that they won't even let their church kids... Be in Sunday school with outsiders' kids, and so what they do is they create two Sunday school type two children ministries. One is for their kids, the pure ones, the righteous princesses and princes of goodness that keep them isolated from the uh, broken, flawed sinners in in the world. Look, I'm not unsympathetic. I I, I understand the parental fear of that but I do not believe it is fair or it is accurate because there's two misconceptions there's more but let me just pick out two number one is that our kids are good and those kids are bad that's all outward judgment we don't know what's going on in the heart and secondly that is that is to say our kids will be saved if they're isolated and they'll be lost if they're exposed the germ theory of sin (laughs) Again, I'm not unsympathetic. This is the fears of the good parent who wants to give their child every advantage. The question is not that. The question is, does that choice represent the missional heart of the church and the purposeful call of our Savior? Uh, None of us are good. None of us are holy. All of us have hearts that are filled with potential Every type of transgression that is out there, and many of us have pursued those and have had to find places of repentance. How does the church impact the world? That is, that's the question. If we use the church primarily as reassurance to us, the whole world is changing, but bless God, the church isn't changing. Um, <sighs> um, I'm not sure that that's going to be a church. That is able to connect with the generation it is in. Let me let me talk about a handful of things that I think are true. And again, this is talking to save people here. I I, I deeply believe the vast majority of you are essentially a strong believers. Um, I believe number one that the instability that the church has experienced over the last few years will continue, and I refer primarily primarily to how the church perceives the world. It seems like confusing times. It seems like strange, crazy. Uh, everything from political hate to uh, COVID plague, uh, it's just been crazy. And um, uh, I think that instability will continue. It's not new. We all of us should remind ourselves that as trouble goes, uh, the modern church knows less trouble, Um, The church has survived much worse persecution, much worse political instability, um, much worse plague risk. The church has come through the Black Death, that's plague risk, and Attila the Hun, (laughs) geopolitical risk. Uh, We've come through that. We've come through persecution of the greatest empire on earth, the Roman Empire, um, and now we are trying to survive the test of plenty, the trial of prosperity. I don't know how all that will unfold, but I I do not believe that after COVID passes, the church is going to arrive at some place of peaceful repast where we know no more instability. Um, I think that there will be continuing instability. I believe that the coming years will continue to be years that feel like times of of great um, disruption. Why? That's what you want to know. I'll tell you. Number 1, I don't think change is slowing. I think whether it is political, uh, institutional, financial, technological, soci- sociological, I don't in, no, in not one area is change slowing. But in every area, change is speeding up. But this is the world God has called us to minister in, to be his disciple and to connect with those sinners who will hear his message and turn their hearts toward his promise. We act out discipleship and we make disciples. You can't do that hiding from sinners. You can't do that creating cultures of pretend righteousness where we primarily focus on what we can see and we hope the stuff we can't see stays you know, under the rug. Um, this is not how a church reaches the world. Uh, The church can reassure itself of this way, but I deeply believe this is not uh, the path. Every area, economic, financial, institutional, legal, all of these areas, we see tremendous change, and we don't know where it's taken us. But a church that will minister in this uh, arena has to be an agile church. Um, We have to try. We can't be afraid of failure. We have to take chances on broken people. We have to include people into the fellowship life of the church when we are in the process of winning them. Why? That's the Bible way. Now, you can talk about how you were raised or how your grandparents said it should be done. No, I can't go by that. Honestly, when I stand before judgment, I can't stand in front of your grandparent and say, do you think I did good? There's only one standard that helps me sleep at night, and that is number one, what does the scripture say? Now, I also want the Lord to speak to me, but I cannot let my perception of a word be in contradiction with the sacred word given in scripture. Um, I have to believe the church has to be an agile church. Our leaders has to be have to be agile. We have to try things. We have to see if this will connect, if that will work. Um, and just because we're not some overnight mega church doesn't mean that we shouldn't be trying. We have to do our best and find that, that consistent, faithful effort toward the prosperity of the kingdom. Uh, a lot of people say, all you need is faithfulness. Well, that's kind of biblical, but it's only half the story. Uh, the master also wants to know what you've done with the gifts he gave you, the, into- the talents he gave you. He cares about what you do, You can say, oh, I just buried my talent. I was faithful. Ah. (laughs) All right, moving along. Um, So that's the first thing. I think chaos in our society, the instability will not suddenly fade away. I think it is a function of change. And we have to, as a church, be able to stand strong in what we believe, what we are convinced of, and open our heart to people who disagree with us. And if we cannot do that, We might as well have a little righteous gathering of the Pharisee crowd because that's all we'll ever do. And then when Jesus comes by, we'll say he should be ashamed of himself. He's an embarrassment. Do you see Uh, The second thing is that our divided culture will not stop being divided. Um, I know we wish it would. This past political season is one of the most ugly. It's, It's in terms of things people said in families that or being broken apart by it, I think, in my experience, it was one of the most ugly experiences of my political memory. Um, that, that is what it is. And it doesn't matter which side of that you were on. The anger and the uh, uh, exasperated, yes, by social media, exasperated by mob behavior, social media, projected into family and friend units, you can't act like a mob in your family and your friends. You can't speak like you're in a mob without destroying that. You can't... Uh, okay, all right. Um, I, I think the division of our hour will continue, and the reason why I think that is because I believe it is a product of selfishness, and I do not believe society is becoming less selfish. I think our Internet, remote work, media culture will make us more selfish not less selfish. The result of that is culture will be deeply, deeply divided, and we will have to, as a church, bridge the separation of peoples. This is what Paul is referring to when he talks about what the Lord did, that the Lord removed the middle wall of separation. He's not, in this moment, talking about the Lord uh, connecting humanity with deity, although Jesus does that. That's the veil of the temple. The middle wall of separation is in the temple, and it keeps people separated. It says the men can't worship with the women. The men have the highest place, and the women have the second place. It says Jews can't worship with Gentiles. It is the middle wall of separation. Christ has removed that. Christ has said we are one in Him. Whatever your ethnic background, whatever your political background, if you cannot love your brother, you're, you're pursuing a different Christianity. Now, I'm, I'm not saying you can't find a church to make you feel good about it. You can. They're, on, they're, they're out there by the dozens. They will make you feel good about, about you being the, as big a horse's rear as you want to be. But I'm telling you, the Bible won't. The Bible won't. If you cannot accept people and love people and embrace people, um, yeah. All right, uh, the next consequence for us to consider in this conversation we're having with strong believers, saved people, um, discussing the future of a ministry, the future of leadership, what the church can do, what we should do. Um, the fourth thing is this. Um, I do not believe that the questions that cause division will get less, will be lessened. I think they will be increased. Uh, those hard questions of moral, theological, and yes, philosophical challenge that unbelievers bring to believers. I don't believe that will become less. I believe that will become stronger. Um, There's already a willingness in many parts to view Judeo-Christian morality as the new immorality. And if you believe somebody's lifestyle choice is wrong, then you are the person who is wrong. Uh, The church cannot get sucked into the spirit of that We have to be secure in what we believe, and we have to be able to speak our faith as our choice, what we believe, what we speak, what we claim. And then we have to be able to say, I know I don't decide for you. I know, but I'm saying, if I was in your shoes, this is what I believe. And if we can't do that, while at the same time not reflecting the anger and rage we are receiving, we're going to struggle to move the needle of our time. We're going to struggle to have influence in our community. We're going to struggle to be attractive to people. And the reason is, is they come to us with a certain spirit. It's a spirit of contempt. They hold their truth with anger. They hold their truth with disgust. And if you disagree, then you are contemptible. If the church holds our truth in the same way, we fail. I don't I, I don't wanna I wanna emphasize that. We fail. They come to us with contempt, disgust, and all of those ugly emotions. If we hold our truth the same way, we fail. Because it's not powerful services that are going to succeed. I love powerful services. It's not mighty tongues and interpretation that's going to succeed. I love all of the moves of the Spirit. It's not prophecy. It's not the language of angels. It is not all knowledge. It's not even all power. That's what we really want. That's what the the human heart, religious or not, what we truly crave is power. Power is not going to do it. But charity never fails. Charity works when nothing else works. That's why when they come to us with their challenging questions, how can you say God loves people and you don't accept homosexuals? That's going to be the questions they ask. You are the problem. You don't accept people. You have an absolute morality as if they don't have an absolute morality. You reject people as if they aren't rejecting us. Um, do you see? We have to be able to uh, hold our truth in charity. And that goes, that's, 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 how would I, how, how do we hold our truth in charity? Number one, I've already mentioned, we can disagree without reflecting the emotion that the normal person would have, that hatred, that anger. And number two, uh, we are in some way able to separate their wrong stance, belief, whatever, from their value. Because what Pharisees do is if they if you disagree with them they strip you of your value they 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 call you names they treat you and this is why so many churches end up as toxic places is because when someone disagrees with you they strip you of your value and so they're mad at the preacher they'll trash the preacher not that he's a good man making a mistake not that he's trying to do something that's hard to describe but that he is a sellout. He doesn't want the truth. He doesn't want the move of God. Do you see? That's just as carnal as what absolute unbelievers say about the worst Christians. And it's wrong. And if we go that way, God help us. Because we're going to need all the mercy we can get. Uh, The better way for us is to be able to disagree in charity. And not subtly think we're the good and they're the bad we're the insider and they're the outsider we're the king's kids and they're the spawn of satan this this is not how a church has influence and so um lastly let me just say this i I continue to believe that churches will be effective um some churches will struggle um some churches will uh not struggle in the mission Now, all kinds of churches can be successful. All they have to do is do what they're aiming for. If they're aiming to be a collection of highly committed religious people that primarily focuses on ministering to one another, and every Sunday they got a touch, and they never ask the question that, my God, I've been saved 49 years, I've read the Bible through 17 times, and I'm still depending on a touch on Sunday night, that kind of church will be fine, because that's what they're going for. Uh, churches that primarily are building walls to protect the precious princesses of their and princes of their children from, you know, the the sin of the hour. You just have to wait until those princesses and princes grow up to a certain age and they can choose for themselves and see how well you did by isolating them. Um, all of these things are things that we have to wrestle with because all these kind of churches will exist. There'll be churches that are primarily ethnic. They're primarily family. Churches where everybody on the platform is related (laughs) and um you know churches where everybody on the platform has the same i mean look at them they're all just good soldiers they're all of the same ethnic background Man, i'm off the reservation y'all forgive me this matters to me this moves my heart this is what i want to say the lord has given us everything we need to make a difference in our society the Lord has given, invested in the church, everything we need to bridge the secular and the spiritual, to be Jacob's ladder between heaven and earth, to be strong in what, who we are and open our heart to people who don't want to be who we are, at least in the moment, and may never want to be what we are. But they say of us, even if they don't agree with us, those are good people. Those are kind people. Those people are long-suffering. Those people are gentle Those people are warm. Those people hold their faith. So, let me end with a personal story. I have a good number of friends that are unbelievers. This is primarily because of the sports I do. I do some specific kind of esoteric sports. Uh, And because not many people do it, you make a lot of good friends. And I, I enjoyed it, it fits my personality. It's therapy for me. The result is I have some quite close friendships of people who are not believers. And I had one of these friends tell me recently that I was his favorite Christian. And it, 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 I, I teared up. He didn't know it because we, we were texting, but I teared up. Um, I was his favorite Christian. I, I, he may never believe that Christian way that is very unique, is very theologically unique. He may never get that. Um, but at least he sees me trying to carry it. Uh, with a certain gentleness and a certain acceptance, and a, a, a certain—that's what I want to go for. And I think that's the way of the church. Not that you know successfully isolates itself, but a church that connects, that bridges, a church that doesn't just keep the law, but demonstrates the heart of God. That's what I'm going for. That's what I, we as a team are going for. That's what we as leaders talk about every week. Um, we pray about every day, for the most part. Um, that's what we're going for, and I would love for all of you strong believers um, to consider how you as a church, how you as believers uh, do more than stay saved, <laughs> and you, you, you become part of the connection mechanism, uh, the vertical, the connection, and the horizontal, the connection, the love God connection, and the love people connection. That is what we're going for at First Church. We love you. God bless you. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you are in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.